Well, everyone, welcome to Cornwall Church. We are so glad that you are making time to connect with us, whether you're in Skagit, in Bellingham, or online. We are so grateful that you're making time this weekend to connect. And Happy New Year. We are so excited. 2021 is upon us, and that's kind of crazy. That number is huge, which makes me sound really old. But I think most of us can say we are glad that 2020 is behind us, and we are on into a new year. And all the people said... Amen. So it is so great to be here with you. And um, I want to start by sharing a story with you. When I was around 23 years old, I ran my first and my last half marathon. My first and my last. Now, fortunately for me, I ran with a friend named Chris. He was an incredible runner. Um, he just had it down. So he helped me understand, like, what do I need to eat before the race? When we were running the race, he helped me understand pace and a pace that was sustainable. He helped me with breathing at times. So those are all reasons why it was really great to run with Chris. The one reason it was rather unfortunate to run with Chris is that when he ran, he was like a gazelle, just like effortlessly gliding along. And I more closely resembled a rhinoceros that was just stumbling through this course. And it was incredibly hard. As I mentioned, it was my first and last half marathon. And around mile nine is where I hit the first wall. Um, I was exhausted, totally spent. I wanted to quit. I wanted to walk. I wanted to go home. I wanted to lay down and take a nap. Basically anything but continue running in this race. But with Chris alongside, he helped encourage me to continue one step at a time, keep going. And as we came around a corner, we saw a hydration station, which was just a, a rectangular plastic table with all sorts of little Dixie cups on them filled with water. So as we ran by, we grabbed one of those, and I drank the liquid life that was inside. And what was amazing was almost instantly I had this boost I had mental and physical energy again. I went from experiencing despair to experiencing hope. With a simple sip of two ounces of water, I shifted from being like, I want to go home, I want to quit, to let's keep running and let's finish the race. Now, if I'm being real with you, which I am, I did not run any faster. At one point, Chris, trying to encourage me to pick up the pace, he said, look at those old people in front of us. They aren't that far away. We can catch them. And do you want to? And I said, yeah, let's get them. And a couple moments later, Chris said, if we're going to catch them, we actually have to speed up. To which I said, let's not catch them. I just want to finish the race. And so we did that. I kept running and finished the race. And it was an incredible accomplishment. Um, 2020 was not a half marathon. Maybe it was a marathon, but maybe more like an ultra marathon, an extra long marathon, where in that race, there were moments of joy. There were moments of excitement. But it was a year that was also full of us running into a bunch of walls, wall after wall, that was discouraging, that was frustrating, that was angering. Walls that led us to want to quit, want to give up, to lay down and take a nap, to say, I've had it, I can't do it anymore. And in 2020, in this last year, our thirst for something more became evident. The longer we ran, the thirstier we became. And many of the normal things that used to bring us comfort and peace and joy and happiness and satisfaction 
were either no longer an option, there were no longer things that we could do, or where they once brought us those things, they no longer could, they no longer brought satisfaction or the amount of peace or hope or joy that we needed. And so we became desperately aware of our need for something more. We became desperately aware that we needed something greater to satisfy our deep thirst. As we read the Bible, you read all sorts of incredible stories that are so relevant to our day and our life. And, and one that came to mind for me is there's this amazing interaction between Jesus and a woman in the book of John. And it focuses, the focus of their conversation is thirst and satisfying that thirst. In John chapter 4, Jesus does something strange. He goes into a neighborhood that most people like him would have intentionally avoided. They would have gone around that neighborhood, but Jesus goes into the neighborhood, and Jesus finds a well, and he's tired, so he sits down and he rests at this well. But more so than resting, Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for a woman to arrive at the well, and when she arrives, or when she arrives, um, she sees Jesus, and Jesus sees her, and Jesus starts a conversation by asking her something that would be incredibly strange for her. As a Jewish man, he asks her, a Samaritan woman, if she will get him a drink from the well. She's bewildered by that. But as the conversation continues, Jesus says something else that um, is bewildering to her as well. And she, he says, if you knew who I am, you would ask me for living water, which I imagine she's like, living water, what? So she's a little confused about that. But then she's also looking at Jesus, and she is seeing that there is nothing. He doesn't have anything to draw water from the well. And so she is, is confused about that. She's like, so how exactly are you going to do that? In Jesus, as the master teacher that he is, he responds by saying this in John chapter 4, verse 13 to 15. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I am the living water. And this woman's response is this, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is declaring in this moment, in this interaction to this woman and ultimately to everyone who will read about this interaction, he is proclaiming, I am the living water. I am the source of salvation. This water is fine. The things that we look to to bring us comfort, to bring us peace, to bring us hope, to bring us joy in this, this last year, those are fine, those are good, but they aren't the living water. Only Jesus can perfectly satisfy the deeper thirst that we have. So Jesus is the source, the only source of our salvation. But simultaneously, Jesus is saying this isn't just an eternity thing sometime after you die on this earth. He's saying that, that I am the source to meet all your needs as you live life. It's only as you seek the living water in this life that you will be able to live the life I've created you to live, which is one that will bring glory to God. It is only when you depend on me, the living water, that you will be able to do this. 
Um, In another familiar passage in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says something very similar. He says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I don't know about you, but I'm raising my hand because when I think about 2020, I experienced weariness and being burdened. Have you experienced being weary and burdened in the last year? Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. The reality is this, that you and I will, or we we experienced weariness and burden in 2020, but we experienced weariness and burden before 2020, and we're going to experience it again in 2021 and beyond. Because as human beings, it is a part of our experience on this earth. There will be moments where we are weary and we are burdened. And Jesus' invitation is so amazing. He says, when you become weary and burdened, would you come to me so that I, the living water, can give you rest, that I can give you deep rest? Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says something very similar. He says, his divine power has given us, Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It is his divine power that has given us everything we need for life. Peter is writing this letter to a people who is being um, persecuted because of their faith. And while we're just a few sentences into this letter, Peter feels that it is absolutely critical to remind them that Jesus Christ, the living water, is where we find all we need to live the way God created us to, to live in a way that glorifies him. It's one thing for us to know the source of living water, and it's totally another to go to that source and receive it. We can know that Jesus is the answer. I mean, isn't that the the answer that we've been classically trained on if you grew up in church? If you don't know an answer in Sunday school and explores like, Jesus, if you're at Edger Encounter, Jesus, because Jesus is never the wrong answer when you're in church. But the reality is, is it's not just knowing the source of our eternal life, not just knowing the source of living water that meets us in our thirst, in our everyday life, but it's learning. It's learning how do I go to that source? How do I receive the living water? And again, we're reminded Jesus says, come to me. What a beautiful invitation. The God of this universe through whom God created everything, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus calls us to go to him. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about a few ways that we can go to him. Now, I want to acknowledge that these things are countercultural. They're counter our all go, no, no culture that celebrates busyness and glorifies overcommitment. A culture that, that leads us to a place of experiencing something called hurry sickness. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you haven't, this is something that we commonly experience, all too commonly experience today in the Western world. And this would be a definition of hurry sickness. A behavior pattern, uh, a behavior pattern categorized by continual rushing and anxiousness, an overwhelming continual sense of urgency, 
a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Can you identify with this? Have you experienced this? I know I have. It's something that I experience all too frequently, this hurry sickness, that it's, I go too fast. And in turn, it's this sense of there's never enough time, and I always have to go faster and faster and faster. And as we read the scriptures, as we read the words of Jesus, as we read about Jesus, what we see is that Jesus says, this is not the way I've created you to live. This is simply not the way I have created you to live. Instead, I've created you to practice three things. These are the things we're going to talk about today in terms of how is it that we draw near? How is it that we receive from the well of living water? We practice slowing, Sabbath, solitude, and silence. Slowing, Sabbath, Solitude and silence. Like I said, these three things are countercultural. These are absolutely abnormal in the culture in which you and I live today. And yet, as we'll see, they're things that Jesus models, that Jesus teaches, and that they are things that we are to practice because it will lead, these practices will lead to life, will lead to life. Now, I'm going to get into each of these in a little bit more information. And as we do, um, the reality is this. You're very different from me, and I'm from you, and you are different from your friends and your family members. You're different from those you're, you're watching this sermon with. Um, you have been uniquely created by God. You have unique passions and interests and hobbies. You connect with God in your own set of ways. If you've established, if you know how you connect with God, it's unique to you because you are created uniquely. And so as I share these things, what I'm not trying to do is to force all of us into this box of this is what slowing looks like and you have to do this or it doesn't count. <laughs> that's, not, that's legalism. That's not the point. But I would love for you to ask yourself this question. What could this look like for me? Based on what I know about myself, what I know is true of me, what could this look like for me? Okay? All right, so let's jump in. The first one is slowing. <sighs> Just sometimes it's good to take a deep breath. That's a very simple practice of slowing, but... The first person or people I want to talk about are Mary and Martha because this is a perfect example of Jesus' invitation to slow down. And we read about this um, interaction in Luke chapter 10. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be, it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better, 
and it will not be taken away from her. As we read this interaction, this passage, what we see is that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, that Mary is giving Jesus her undivided attention, and Mary's experience is totally different from Martha's. Mary is so focused on Jesus that she's having a meaningful interaction. She's able to fully listen to what Jesus is saying and to fully share um, an answer to whatever question he asks. But it's very, very likely that their interaction leads to greater life, greater relational connection. It is deeper and more meaningful and more beautiful. And Martha simply cannot experience that if she continues to rush around and be flustered by all that she has to do. Jesus is inviting us to slow down. When we slow it allows us to enjoy the moment and to be fully present. He's saying, Mary is fully present with me. Martha, stop, slow down, be with me. I am what is most important. And so Jesus is encouraging you and I to practice slowing through this interaction. So slowing allows us to enjoy the moment, to be fully present. Slowing creates space to look for and find Jesus as well. God promises in Jeremiah 29, 13, that when we search for God, I mean like when we really search for God because we really wanna see what God is doing, that we will find him. And I don't know about you, but my guess is, is if I took a poll of everybody who's, who's watching this, whether they're in person or online, if I took a poll of every single person, if I asked you the question, do you wanna see God more at work in your life? Do you want to be able to see what God is doing in your life more? My guess is the unanimous 100% answer would be, yes, heck yes, I want to see that more. When we hurry, it, it keeps us from being able to see what God is doing. When we're moving from one thing to the next, from one commitment to another commitment, one appointment to another appointment, when we're always rushing, when we're experiencing hurry sickness, we are unable to fully see what God is doing. But when we slow down, when we create space, God is able to open our eyes to his presence in our midst, to what he's doing in our life, to meeting a need that we have, to showing us what he's doing in the life of others, the lives of others around us or in our world. But that requires, it requires that we slow down. And one of the things that I think is so incredibly cool that I've experienced is the more that we practice slowing the, and, and we look for God and we see God, the more easily we see God at work in our daily life. And I don't know about you, but man, that is something that brings me so much life. So we slow to, or slowing allows us to enjoy the moment. Slowing creates space to look for and find Jesus. Slowing also allows us to depend on Jesus. Slowing allows us to depend on Jesus. When we go, 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 when our calendar is stacked for the day and we hardly have time to think, not to mention eat, not to mention breathe, not to mention spend time with Jesus, we end up depending on ourselves more. 
I heard um, of a ministry called International Justice Mission, IJM, and their purpose is to free slaves globally. They're, they're, they physically go into a place and rescue men and women and boys and girls from being slaves. They have a massive job. There is no shortage of things to do for them, and yet what they do every day that they work they start the day in prayer, 30 minutes of time to slow down and focus on God. And then in the early afternoon, they do the same thing. So every day, a part of their workday, they are slowing for one hour to communicate their need for God, their dependence on God, their desire to see God's leadership in their life, what God is guiding them to as an individual, to an organization. But they, every single day, built into the structure of their day is the practice of slowing. Now, I don't want you to feel guilty if that's not a possibility for you because the reality is that that can't be a possibility for all of us. And yet it's an incredible example of when we slow down, it allows us to acknowledge our need for Jesus and to tell him about our dependence. And as we do that, Jesus, the living water, shows up and satisfies our deepest thirst. And the last thing I want to, to highlight, to share about slowing is that slowing creates space for Jesus to deliver the living water we desperately need. Slowing creates space for Jesus to deliver the living water that we desperately need to satisfy our thirst. Um, let me give you an example from this week. On Tuesday, um, I was driving to work. I have about a 25-minute drive from home to work. I was driving, and most mornings I like to listen to sports talk radio. Um, and on this morning, I hadn't even gotten to work yet. And um, I'm driving in, and I already feel like there's not enough time in the day. I'm experiencing hurried sickness, right? I'm listening to the radio, and, and I'm just becoming more and more overwhelmed by the noise of the radio and more and more overwhelmed with the thought of the work that I have to do that day. And one of the greatest things was this sermon. The, the, the state of this sermon at that point, I was anxious about. I was uncomfortable with. It was unresolved. It was unclear. And so I was very, um, I was struggling with that. And so God gently led me to slow down, not like take my foot off the gas pedal, but to slow down by turning the radio off, to create space, to just say, God, I need you to meet me. Would you show up? Would you speak to me? Would you encourage me to, to have space to share my heart with God? And what was amazing is in that short drive, what happened is the living water showed up and gave me what I needed to experience, which was peace, a deep peace, instead of the pressure that I was currently feeling and putting on myself. I created space to slow down, and God met me in a beautiful and powerful and life-giving way. So the first way that, that we can do this, we can slow down, is, to, is slowing. The second practice I wanna talk about is, is Sabbath. Now, I'm gonna be real with you. I have not always been excited about the Sabbath. When I thought about the Sabbath, I thought it was particularly boring. It sounded boring because I had this picture in my mind and it was a picture of a monk in a monastery um, sitting by himself in a field, reading a Bible and praying all day. Now, I love reading the word of God. I love praying, but doing that all day for a whole day didn't sound particularly fun to me. It sounded actually quite 
boring, which sounds awful to say in a sermon, but it did. And, and then to think that I would be signing up for a day of boredom at the cost of getting things done on my to-do list, it, it just didn't line up in my mind. And I don't know, maybe you're in a place where you can identify with that, with that viewpoint. But here's the cool thing. From then until now, my perspective has totally changed. It's flip-flopped. It's 180 degrees different. It, 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 I realized that my previous understanding couldn't be more off. It couldn't be more um, inaccurate in terms of what God wants for us on the Sabbath. And so once I started growing my understanding of what the Sabbath actually is, what it's intended for, I have become a huge fan of the Sabbath. Um, but that shift definitely comes from better understanding what Jesus, what God intends for with the Sabbath. And just to plant this seed, it has nothing to do with legalism. It has nothing to do with good Christians take a Sabbath. Check, did it. That is not it at all. Let's check out Mark chapter 2, verse 27, um, as Jesus explains, um, in essence, the point of the Sabbath. It says, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What this is saying is it's not about legalism. It's not about doing this religious duty to be a worthy Christ follower. But rather, what Jesus is saying is that the Sabbath is intended. It's created to benefit us not burden us. It's created to benefit us, not burden us. In essence, the purpose of the Sabbath is to slow down so that we can connect with God, so we can receive the deep rest and rejuvenation that we need and only God can provide. And when we create space on the Sabbath, we are able to drink deeply from the well of living water. A pastor and author named John Mark Comer shares two great questions that help us understand what should and should not be a part of our Sabbath in a book that he wrote called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, the first question is this. Does it increase your focus on Jesus? Does it increase your focus on Jesus? Now, maybe when you read that, you're thinking of the monk and the field and the monastery and all of that. And, and the reality is this, is Jesus, we can focus on Jesus in a whole lot of ways because Jesus reveals himself to us through a whole lot of different things. And so the question is, does it increase our focus on Jesus? And the second question is this, is it life-giving? Is it life-giving? Is it something that you enjoy doing? As I mentioned to you, I love mountain biking. And so mountain biking would be something um, that, I've mentioned this previously, maybe not in this sermon, but anyway, I love bikes. I love riding bikes. I love mountain biking. And when I'm on a bike, I tend to be focused on God. It's just this beautiful open space where, where God meets me, even if it's just with a general sense of peace or joy or gratitude. But Mountain biking would be a great example. Does it increase my focus on Jesus? Yes. Is it life-giving? Yes, it absolutely is. So that's one very simple example of something that could be a part of my Sabbath. Again, the question for you is, what would that look like? What could that look like for me based on who you are, on the interests that you have, on the things that help you focus on Jesus and experience Jesus. 
I think the reality is this, when we approach Sabbath the way God intends us to, we don't approach it, we don't see it with drudgery, with that sense of like, oh, great, oh, the Sabbath is tomorrow, sigh. But rather, we're like, yes, I can't wait. The Sabbath is three days away. I am pumped. And this is more of where I am today. I am excited to celebrate the Sabbath, to Sabbath, to rest, to stop doing other things so that I can increase my focus on God and I can engage in life-giving things each and every week. It is incredible. Now, I want to be really practical in these things, um, so I want to try to provide like tangible examples for each thing. So for this, let me just share with you the way my family Sabbaths. About a year, year and a half ago, we started taking this really seriously and asking ourselves, what do we include in our Sabbath? What helps us focus on Jesus? What is life-giving? And um, so we, at the end of school on Friday for the kids, we all do our household responsibilities. Um, then around five o'clock or dinner time, that's when the Sabbath starts and it goes through Saturday night. So Friday night can include a meal at home. It could be a meal with family or friends. Um, it could be a movie night. Now, if you're like, okay, hold the phone. What? A movie? How does that help you focus on Jesus? Well, here's the thing. When I'm watching a movie with my family, I can become aware, as we're like laughing at different parts together, we're sharing this experience, it grows my awareness of my love for my family. And when I, when I have that awareness of my love for my family, I am aware that God has given me this family, Natalie and Sydney and Hunter, and, and how much I love them. And so then I get to thank God for his goodness. So it does increase my focus on Jesus, even if the movie itself does not. So we'll watch a movie, and then we go to bed at some point, and I don't know if you know this or not, some people have described sleep as a spiritual discipline, and some of you are like, booyah, that's what I'm talking about. I am really good at that. But sleep is a spiritual discipline. Think about it. If you don't sleep enough, you're not rested. If you're not rested, it affects every area of your life, including your mental availability to God. And so sleep is important to us. And so we don't set our alarms for Saturday. We just sleep in. So I make it to 6.30 a.m., friends. Boom! I am terrible at sleeping in. I mean, awful. So I'll wake up. And I actually like that because then I have the house to myself. It's quiet. Um, I spend time with God. That can, can include reading the Bible. It can be reflecting on a verse. It could be journaling. It could be listening to worship music. And I just spend some time alone. Then usually Hunter comes down and joins me, and, and we play together. We talk together. Sometimes we'll color. Sometimes we'll read. Sometimes we'll watch um, a show. And then we start making breakfast. And if the ladies are up, then we figure out what we're going to make for breakfast. And we eat together. And it's just absolutely incredible. We read scripture together sometimes, but then the rest of the day, it's really fairly spontaneous. We don't like structure on our Sabbath. For some of you, like my friend Brian Mangle, that might cause him to have a heart attack, but some of us like not having a schedule. And so we just kind of play it by year. We just take the day as it comes and talk about what we want to do as a family. Sometimes that involves other friends. Sometimes it's just the four of us. But anyway, that is how we spend our Sabbath, and I'm here to tell you, it is incredible, it is life-giving, and um, my hope is, is if you haven't experienced that, 
that you'll try it. My hope is, is that what I've shared helps you have a better understanding about the intention, God's intention for the Sabbath. But when we pause, when we create a day to rest, what we find is that Jesus, our living water, meets us and restores us in beautiful and powerful ways that prepares us for the week ahead. So slowing, Sabbath, and then the third and last one is this. It's solitude and silence. Solitude and silence. This is the one that I think is most counterintuitive, countercultural for our day. But yes, this means being alone, like absolutely alone, and removing ourselves from the noise of life that has a way of distracting us from God and um, drowning out God's voice. And this is something that Jesus absolutely practiced. He was fully God and fully man, and yet he needed to get away, to spend time alone with God. In Luke 5.16, we read about this. But Jesus often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And if you're like, but Scott, I am so busy. I mean, are you more busy than Jesus? Like he's bringing hope to the world. He's spreading the gospel. I don't think you're more busy than Jesus. And it says that Jesus often, he often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. He withdrew. He was alone with God. It was quiet. He got away to connect with God. And then another verse in Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 12 One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus prayed. He pulled an all-nighter and he prayed to God. And to be clear, I am quite confident that some of that time Jesus is talking and a lot of that time Jesus is still. He is silent and he is listening. But again, the point is, is that he gets away. And as he gets away, we see this reoccurring theme that he connects with God, that, that he, his needs are met by God, but God is also preparing him for what he will be doing tomorrow and in the days to come. Um, there's a guy on staff named Cameron, awesome guy. He's a student at Fuller Seminary. And um, he said that in a class, he was shocked by what the professor said they were going to be doing. They were going to practice something in class. And when he told me about it, I was like, dude, that is cool. And I've never heard of that being practiced before at, um, at a seminary. But what he said is um, the professor told them, we're going to spend time in silence. And he honestly was like, that does not sound at all good. Like he rolled his eyes, he was dragging his feet. He was like, are you serious? We're gonna spend 15 minutes of our class time doing this? Like I'm paying for my education. But he chose to engage in this practice. This was on a Zoom call. The professor sets it up and says, get somewhere where you're alone and as undistracted as possible. You can turn off the audio feed, you can turn off the video feed, um, but just get in a space where you can be silent. And Cameron was absolutely surprised by the effect of just those 15 minutes of silence. He said it was tremendously helpful He experienced greater and deeper peace as a result, and he felt more open to God. How amazing is that? 15 minutes of just being silent. 
What I love about God, what I love about Jesus is we don't have to always talk. We don't have to always read. We don't have to always do something, worship, reflect. Yes, those are all valuable, but even in our silence, our God lovingly pursues us and knows the deepest needs, the deepest thirsts of our life, of our heart, our mind, and our soul, and he can meet us and satisfy those things even through silence. So incredible. Now, with that said, Cameron did share that initially it was, he was uncomfortable with it because he's not silent that often. And many of us aren't alone or silent for any period of time. And so it can be uncomfortable. It can be unnerving. And eventually, it can be even a little bit scary. And I heard uh, a guy named Scott Erickson, who's a painter, used to be in Bellingham, is in Texas now. He said something that I found really profound. He said this, The reason we are so afraid of silence and solitude is because in these spaces, we confront our interior poverty. We confront our interior poverty. In essence, what he's saying is in silence, we become aware of our not-enoughness. Pastor Kip is brilliant, and he invents words, so I thought I'd just take a, a, a page from his book, but we become aware of our not-enoughness in silence. And this awareness is uncomfortable, unnerving, and even terrifying because we see that there's nothing that we can do to fix it. In essence, we are powerless. And in turn, we experience hopelessness, or, or we experience how hopeless we are on our own. And yet, this is so important for us to experience because it's in that moment that Jesus, the living water, comes into our life and teaches us or reminds us and satisfies our deepest thirst. He reminds us that the creator God who knows us perfectly, who knit us together in our mother's womb, who has plans for our life and great purposes for our life, that regardless of the failures in our life that leave us on our own and that we are not enough, that despite all of that, that he loves us relentlessly, that he forgives us, that he extends his grace to us, such beautiful and good news, and we couldn't understand how amazing God's response to us is if we weren't aware of how not enoughness we are. That didn't make sense. How not enough we are on our own apart from God. And so our not enoughness brings a beautiful awareness of just how good God is. You see, in solitude and silence, we can find deep rest. We can hear God's guiding voice. We can be convicted of sin that we've not repented of, yet continues to wreak havoc on our life and on others. We can refocus our attention to God, making him our greatest love. We can experience greater personal connection with God. So then the question is this, what can solitude and silence look like? Um, recently, I went, I, I got away, I went up to Mount Baker, and I went for a hike. And to say the least, when you get out into the woods, for me, the wilderness, it opens my eyes to God's greatness. On that hike, being blown away by how beautiful everything was and how huge everything was, I started to feel very small. I started to feel very small, and yet as I felt small, God showed up and whispered to me. He reminded me of a verse I had read. I had no clue where it was, but I later found it. It's Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, 
When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You see, in this moment, I felt small, I felt insignificant, and yet God showed up and reminded me, no, 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 Scott, I see you, I know you, I love you, I have great plans for you, my care for you is unparalleled. It was amazing. If I hadn't slowed down, if I hadn't gotten away, gotten alone, and been silent before God, I truly don't believe that I would have had that experience. Now, if you're thinking, going to Baker, that's great, but that's a long trek to get up there and takes a lot of time, and I don't have that much time. Our morning time with God or noon time with God or evening time with God, that is also solitude and silence. It's us coming before God, getting away from distractions, turning off our phones, our email, and getting in a space where we can just be with God and we can invite him to meet us. And when we do that, God shows up. The living water shows up. Jesus fulfills what he says when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, show up, and I will show up. When we create space for, for solitude and silence, God meets us. God meets us. So, slowing. Sabbath, solitude, and silence. These are three practices that create, that intentionally create space for our amazing God to meet us, to satisfy our deepest thirst for him, and to meet our needs. What I wonder is this. What does that look like for you? What could it look like for you to practice slowing? Is that on a car ride? Is that just a minute before you leave for work? Is it a minute when you get home for work? Is it driving without the radio? What does that look like? What about Sabbath? What would be a part of your Sabbath that would increase your focus on God and would bring life? And then solitude and silence. What would that look like? What would be a part of that time? How would you increase your focus on God? How would you sit silently before God? Where would you do that? What could these things look like for you? In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, come to me so I can satisfy your deepest need, so that I can satisfy your deepest thirst. My question for us is, how will we respond to that invitation? How will we, how will you respond to Jesus' invitation? In 2021, may you, may we, Love God with all, all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and time as we create space to slow down and meet with God so that he can deeply satisfy our deepest thirst. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the example that you set. I thank you, God, that you created us on purpose with great purpose. Lord, our first and primary calling is to love you with all of us. And a part of that, Lord, is that we need to set time aside. We need to slow down. So would you help us understand what that can look like when we consider slowing, when we consider taking a Sabbath, when we consider um, practicing solitude and silence, what does that look like for us? Would you help us see and God, would you show us a plan so that we can put that into practice? 
Thank you that you are with us, that you satisfy our deepest thirst. I love you and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.